We're delighted to welcome Professor Paul Wells uh, to speak at the conference. I've never met Paul before, um, but he's a Liverpudlian by origin. Oh. <laughs> uh, what I was going to say was that just makes him like a transplanted Glaswegian. Um, but uh, I've never met Paul before today. And, uh, but I've since coming, I've discovered that we have one thing in common, apart from, hopefully, um, a heart uh, commitment to the theology of John Calvin. Uh, we're both um, aficionados of Bob Dylan's music, so um, <laughs> that's at least one good thing we have in common. Uh, Paul, as many of you will know, was a founder, uh, a member of the Reformed Faculty of Theology in Aix-en-Provence. Um, he has a, a wide ministry, a ministry that I know is greatly valued, not least in France itself. Uh, last night we had um, Alan Davy uh, speaking at an after church meeting who's involved in church planting in Bordeaux and it was lovely to hear him speak so warmly of the, the faithful influence that Paul has had over many years in France and beyond. We're delighted that he's here He's here to speak on the great subject of Calvin and union with Christ, the heart of Christian doctrine. Welcome. Well, when my wife saw the programme, she said, what on earth have they got you with all those bigwigs for? <laughs> um, to which I replied, uh, have you seen the time they've given me? <laughs> so there maybe you have the answer. Now, I'd like to speak a little this afternoon about uh, Calvin's doctrine of union of Christ and maybe there are speakers present here who could uh, do this much better than I could. But um, I'm going to have a shot at it in uh, a particular way, approaching the subjects uh, not through the institutes uh, but from another angle. Now, first of all, I'd like to present to you what I plan to do. So here's my outline for, I hope this lasts more than 35 minutes. Um, uh, first of all, I'd like to start off by speaking a bit about the centre and the movement in Calvin's theology. Uh, then moving on to the language of union of Christ uh, in Calvin. And then, uh, rather than speaking about the Institutes as such, I would like to speak about three biblical images that reoccur uh, constantly in Calvin's thought, uh, uh, engrafting, uh, participation and adoption. Uh, it seems to me that for Calvin, uh, these three biblical ways of speaking about our relationship with Jesus Christ uh, all describe in one way or another uh, the contents and the meaning, uh, the origin and the finality of union with Christ. And I've chosen uh, three uh, biblical passages as a way into this subject uh, uh, that you know very well. Uh, John chapter 15, uh, Romans chapter 6 and uh, a section from Romans chapter 8. And after examining some of the things that Calvin says uh, about these uh, three aspects of union of Christ will uh, reach hopefully some conclusions. Uh, centre of movements in Calvin's theology. 
is a difficult subject because if you speak about the centre of Calvin's theology you imply that in some way Calvin's theology is static uh, but on the other hand um, uh, studying Calvin has led me to see the importance of the development of the history of redemption uh, in Calvin's thought uh, and uh, in the development of the history of redemption uh, union with Christ constitutes a central focus because it's the resolution of two dialectical tensions that precede it uh, and contextualize it and union with Christ in its turn issues in two following dialectical situations that are outcomes with the central union with Christ so uh, we have a, a theology and movement which follows uh, the large lines of the history of redemption uh, in this theology and movement we have two dialectical tensions leading into union with Christ which has a central function and then leading from union with Christ we have two other dialectical situations which provide a resolution uh, to uh, uh, this whole structure and um, if you've not understood the use of dialectical uh, as I've been using it I uh, simply mean uh, oppositional forces in Calvin's theology but I hope that will become uh, clearer uh, as we move through this uh, first section uh, the starting point of Calvin's theology and uh, here I'd like to come back uh, to the use of the word uh, institutes and institutionalizing uh, lies in the fact that uh, creation for Calvin institutionalizes uh, uh, an unsurmountable distinction between uh, God uh, and all else that exists uh, here we have uh, the first and fundamental dialectical tension uh, which stems from uh, God's act of creation itself and this uh, barrier between a creator and creature uh, is always there is in the nature of things you can't mix uh, the creator with things that are uh, created humanly uh, or naturally uh, and there is always this uh, infinite uh, qualified distinction uh, between God and all that is created and this we can call uh, the creator-creature dialectic and here is a quote from what I consider to still be one of the best books uh, on Calvin uh, Francois Wendell's book uh, uh, on Calvin Origins and Developments of His Religious Thought which I think is still available in English uh, uh, in this book he says uh, uh, underlining this uh, distinction between God and man uh, Calvin places uh, all his theology uh, under the sign of what was one of the essential principles of the reform the absolute transcendence of God and his total otherness in relation to man no theology is Christian says Wendell and in conformity with the scriptures but in the degree to which it respects the infinite distance 
separating God from his creature and gives up all confusion or mixing that might tend to efface the radical distinction between the divine and the human above all God and man must again be seen in their rightful places that is the idea that dominates the whole of Calvin's theological exposition and underlines the majority of his controversies so we have a fundamental distinction uh, between God and man uh, which underlies the whole of Calvin's uh, approach to all his theological uh, thought and of course uh, the question arises uh, how can this distinction be overcome and here of course we come to the fact of the centrality of the mediation of Christ in Calvin's theology it's not for nothing that this is central in book 2 which is the gate uh, to book 3 and book 3 and 4 uh, are about 70% uh, of the institutes uh, and uh, uh, are the central uh, weight of the institutes one might say but the hinge on which everything swings is the media mediatorship of Christ uh, we can't say anything useful about God according to Calvin unless we say it uh, in terms of Christ's mediation uh, there's no knowledge of God in the true sense without uh, Christ's mediation and I think the question that was asked uh, uh, in the second session about penal substitution uh, and God's anger against his Christ can only really be uh, dealt for Calvin in terms of Christ's mediation it's only as mediator not as a person, a human person uh, that Christ uh, uh, is suffering uh, uh, on behalf of sinners uh, it's in his legal function which Christ institutes for himself in constituting himself mediator and uh, to which the father uh, institutes the son so uh, here is the, uh, uh, the factor that uh, enters into the gap between divinity and humanity the mediation of Jesus Christ which is one and which is unique but within the mediation of Jesus Christ in the incarnation there is a second uh, what might be called uh, dialectic and here we have the Chalcedonian theology uh, that Calvin uses uh, because that in Christ uh, uh, in the one person of Christ there are the divine and the human natures but these are never mixed up together these are always separate so even in the person of Christ uh, the person of Christ is understood in terms of a dialectic and uh, as has been said many times uh, what's important for Calvin is the person of Christ as mediator uh, not necessarily in primary questions uh, concerning uh, the nature of Jesus Christ and in fact we couldn't even speak about the nature of Jesus Christ in the single that would be an error and a heresy there is no nature of Jesus Christ there are the two natures of Jesus Christ which are forever separate uh, without any confusion or mixing and the two natures are joined in one person and so the dialectic of divinity and humanity in the mediation of the unique person uh, is overcome and here we have the second uh, important element of Calvin's theology the capital nature of mediation 
nothing can be done in terms of salvation or knowledge of God without mediation and here uh, is what Calvin says to us Christ's humanity draws God closer to us uh, and in the incarnation uh, there is the divine and the human uh, without any mixing in the institute's book 12 uh, book 2 chapter 12 uh, section 2 Calvin says about mediation this very well known statement relying on this pledge the pledge we have in the person of the incarnate Christ we trust that we are sons of God you see already the question of adoption is in the background here for God's natural son fashioned for himself a body from our body flesh from our flesh bones from our bones that he might be one with us uh, this shows us that union with Christ can only re ever really be related to the person of Christ uh, and in particular uh, to the humanity of Jesus Christ and this will be very important for the doctrine uh, of the Lord's Supper which we won't speak about uh, in this lecture because we don't have any time uh, Christ took our nature upon himself uh, to impart to us what he was what was his and to become both son of God and son of man uh, here are uh, if you want uh, the divine and the human aspects uh, in common with us uh, going a little further we now uh, reach uh, the resolution of the divine human dialectic in terms of union with Christ uh, the dialectic is continued uh, in union with Christ which is an outcome of mediation uh, if we really want to speak about the centre of Calvin's theology we have to say mediation and union with Christ and union with Christ and mediation and I think the two uh, are more or less inseparable in Calvin's thought and uh, by saying that uh, we are in union with Christ uh, because Christ is our mediator we're speaking about the living personal risen uh, glorified Christ but this is only the resolution and the outcome of the fact that Christ in his incarnation became in common with us and shared our humanity with us and Christ, uh, in Christ God is brought close to us in a most wonderful way as long as Christ says Calvin remains outside of us and we are separated from him here's the language of separation again you see all that he has suffered and done for the salvation of the human race remains useless and of no value to us therefore to share with us what he has received from the father the father first of all he has to become ours and to dwell within us here I think Calvin is speaking about his dwelling within human nature for this reason he is called our head he is the language of sonship and the firstborn among the brethren we also in turn are said to be engrafted the language of grafting into him and to put on Christ the language of participation for all that he possesses is nothing to us until we grow into one body with him it is true that we obtain this by faith 
Yet since we see that not all indiscriminately embrace that communion with Christ, which is offered through the gospel, reason itself teaches us to climb higher and to examine now the Holy Spirit, the secret energy of the Spirit by which we come to enjoy Christ in all his benefits. Here in Institutes uh, Book 3, Chapter 1, Section 1, uh, a passage which uh, is reiterated uh, uh, almost in the same terms in his commentary on John 15.1 uh, we have uh, the substance uh, of union with Christ in a Trinitarian context so here uh, we have the resolution of the dialectical separation uh, through the mediation of Christ uh, and through the Trinitarian work in which uh, all the uh, persons of the Trinity are involved uh, we are united and become one with uh, uh, the Lord Jesus Christ uh, uh, who becomes our head uh, and uh, uh, here is the centre uh, uh, of the whole I think uh, of the theological structure of Calvin uh, this uh, uh, is really uh, the important point mediation and union with Christ and if we are with outside uh, of Jesus Christ mediation means nothing to us but also God means nothing to us so Christ becomes uh, uh, one in common with us as he unites himself uh, to uh, our humanity in order to save us through his uh, wonderful mediatorial uh, intervention now here is the first uh, resolu resolution of the dialectic flowing out from union with Christ. Uh, in union with Christ uh, we participate uh, in the double grace. Uh, partaking or union with Christ has precedence over justification and sanctification in uh, Calvin's theology. Uh, there is a good bit of debate going on about that at present and I'm not going to enter into it but it seems to me that the position uh, uh, put forward by Richard Gaffin with regard to union with Christ uh, in relation to justification and sanctification uh, is fully justified uh, uh, by Calvin's thought partaking in him this is Institute's uh, book 3 chapter 11 <coughs> uh, uh, section 1 see the language of participation again by partaking in him we principally receive a double grace a very well known passage this namely that being reconciled to God through Christ's blamelessness we may have instead of a judge a gracious father uh, reconciled to God through Christ's blamelessness uh, having not a judge but a gracious father is uh, obviously uh, the language the legal language of uh, justification and secondly that sanctified by Christ's spirit we may, cultify, uh, we may cultivate blamelessness and purity of life here again I think you can argue that the dialectic is followed through because justification is a divine work a divine declaration with regard to us uh, sanctification in union with Christ uh, uh, is one with justification as we heard uh, uh, but uh, uh, it's the union of our humanity uh, to the Lord Jesus Christ in his justifying work 
And here it's very interesting to note that uh, Francois Wendel, who I quoted uh, 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 previously, uh, speaks about this uh, participation in Christ uh, as being um, uh, a second mediation uh, for Calvin. There is a first mediation uh, uh, done in the Incarnation. Uh, whereby, Calv- uh, whereby Christ represents us and there is a second mediation whereby Christ uh, represents himself to us uh, through the work of the Holy Spirit uh, and justification and sanctification being the divine and the human uh, aspects of salvation uh, are joined together uh, in the work of the Holy Spirit uh, who mediates the salvation and union with Christ uh, to us and this is what uh, Vendel says. One may justifiably wonder whether the Holy Spirit does not occupy a position in our relations with the Christ analogous to that of the Christ himself in his relations with the Father. In a good many passages indeed, the Holy Spirit plays the part of an obligatory mediator between Christ and man, just as the Christ is the mediator between God and man. And in the same way that Jesus Christ is a necessary instrument of redemption, so is the Holy Spirit the no less necessary instrument by means of which this redemption reaches us in justification and regeneration. Uh, Here we have in Wendell uh, what we might also term John Murray's redemption accomplished and applied uh, joined together. Now the final uh, resolution of the dialectic um, about which we've been talking which is an ongoing movement uh, is to my way of thinking uh, perhaps one of the least explored and one of the most mysterious aspects uh, of Calvin's thought. Uh, And this relates to what he writes in Institutes uh, Book 2 Chapter 14 Section 3 and also in his commentary on 1 Corinthians 15, uh, verse 24. Uh, The finality of salvation has already begun under the reign of Christ, Calvin says, uh, but when Christ has completed his work of mediation, then Christ, Calvin seems to say, with a lot of discretion and prudence, uh, God will be all in all and Christ will no longer be the mediator in the sense uh, in which he is mediator now uh, because the work of redemption will be finished and so uh, the dialectic of the separation is resolved uh, through God being uh, all in all the dialectic one might say is transcended now Calvin says that the kingship of Christ uh, has neither beginning nor end uh, but uh, Uh, at the conclusion of his redemptive work when God becomes all in all uh, there is uh, a new state uh, uh, into which we enter as saved humanity Calvin says uh, Christ will yield to the Father his name and crown of glory and whatever he has received from the Father For to what purpose were power and lordship given to Christ unless that by his hand the Father might govern us? So in a certain way there is a kind of 
the transcending of the dialectic and an eclipsing of Jesus Christ uh, in the new creation when God uh, becomes all in all and it's very mysterious to me to know what that means uh, and uh, uh, I won't go further with that today but it just, uh, I just refer to it to show you that there is a movement uh, in Calvin from uh, a situation of separation and tension to a situation uh, of resolution uh, God and creation and God being all in all uh, at the uh, end of the movement now here I'm getting on to my uh, second big point uh, that is the language of union with Christ uh, for Calvin and here uh, there are many excellent uh, books uh, written recently uh, on union with Christ uh, Mark Garcia uh, Todd Billings uh, uh, Joel Beakey has written things as well and uh, uh, well I'm sure Sinclair Ferguson must have written something because he writes about everything huh? <laughs> um, uh, and I'm not entering into debates uh, with these current uh, excellent expositions of union with Christ in Calvin's thoughts uh, and also um, I find that in this Calvin year there's a lot of talk about Calvin um, and so I would like to do something with the ipsism of Herba huh? uh, with what Calvin actually says himself rather than what other people say about Calvin uh, you know uh, you can talk uh, a lot about the Bible and say the Bible says this and that huh? but it's much more effective uh, very often if someone picks up the Bible and sees what it says for himself so uh, let's try for a little while uh, to see what Calvin uh, says about the language of union with Christ and union with Christ is described in Calvin's commentaries through three aspects of biblical language uh, engrafting, participation uh, and adoption so we'll look at these three and I'm not going to bother reading you uh, all of John 15 1 to 11 because I know if I woke you up in the middle of the night and said recite to me John 15 1 to 11 you'd start right in no problem um, but what I want to do here is just uh, indicate in Calvin's commentary on John 15 1 to 11 uh, some salient aspects concerning union with Christ in this biblical passage uh, uh, of course um, Calvin uses the language of engrafting in his commentary on Romans to comment on Romans you see the analogy of scripture functions uh, uh, in this case as well but, but I don't want to get into commenting on uh, Calvin's exegesis, exegesis and his method uh, uh, here for instance in this passage uh, I would like to simply underline points which are uh, marked in red here uh, first of all I am the true vine means that union with Christ is a union in life uh, uh, secondly uh, the union with Christ uh, uh, when it's present means fruitfulness uh, thirdly there's the me mediatorial aspect I am the vine you are the branches and fourthly in all these passages we'll look at these three texts we'll see that uh, Calvin always has a pastoral comment uh, uh, in his exegesis of these <coughs> important uh, sections and in this case 
verses 10 and 11, uh, he uses these verses uh, to explain how justification and sanctification are related in engrafting uh, into uh, uh, the Lord Jesus Christ. Uh, first of all, uh, uh, we have the point of union with Christ and engrafting into the true vine. Uh, Calvin here considers our nature in and of itself and our nature in Christ. And there is a total difference befitting the dialectic we've commented between our nature in and of itself. Calvin repeats again and again, uh, outside of Christ we have nothing fruitful to offer, nothing fruitful to bring, uh, uh, we are unproductive. Uh, uh, fruit in a spiritual sense and productivity in that sense uh, are only ever uh, because of our nature in Christ and our life in Christ. Here, first of all, life comes from Christ. We are by nature barren and dry, except insofar as we have been grafted into Christ and draw a power from him that is new. Our vital sap, that is, all life and strength comes from Christ alone. Now, I don't think Calvin is saying here that a life that comes from Christ alone is our, our spiritual interior life. He's saying that our very physical life, because we live in Christ, our very physical life, all of our life uh, and strength comes from Christ alone. Uh, so that means uh, for Calvin that today, if we are living in Christ, uh, 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 our, our living today, as we are sitting here, is living, animated by the power and the strength uh, uh, of the Lord Jesus Christ, which is not only spiritual, but also physical. The nature of man is unfruitful and destitute of good, because no man has the nature of a vine until he is grafted in Christ which is given to the elect alone by special grace. This is Calvin's comment on John 15 verse 1. But he says exactly the same things in Romans 5, 6, 7, 4 and 13, 14 in his commentaries on those passages. Now, when Calvin says that we live in Christ as the true vine, uh, he has a discussion which is very interesting which modern exegetes uh, would well not follow in the greater majority I think uh, uh, Calvin uh, using uh, some philological uh, explanations that I won't go into because they're a little complex says that we're to understand the expression vine when Christ says I am the true vine as being I am the true vineyard that is, uh, Christ is the uh, Father's vineyard uh, into which we are planted. Uh, and uh, here, uh, evidently the true vineyard, uh, being Jesus Christ, is Christ the new Israel, uh, by contrast with the vineyard which didn't bear any fruit, which was the old Israel. So, the Father plants us in the true vineyard, and Jesus Christ is the true vineyard. The first author of all good is the Father who has planted us by his hand and the beginning of life is in Christ when we begin to take root in him. We're like vines plunging our roots into this vineyard which is the Lord Jesus Christ himself. 
when Christ calls himself the true vineyard it is as if he had said I am truly the vineyard and men work in vain to find life elsewhere in fact no good fruit can be produced other than by vines that bear fruit in me uh, here again uh, we can see uh, uh, behind the language of engrafting into Christ the mediatorial function of Christ there's the father there are the vines and there is the vineyard and we are planted into the true uh, vineyard by having root in him uh, we are cultivated and pruned by the father and unfruitful vines are ripped up and burned although Calvin does not comment this in his commentary on John he skips over it which is rather interesting uh, to my way of thinking uh, uh, in my part of the world uh, uh, we have lots of uh, vineyards and um, uh, every autumn uh, when I'm going out for a walk uh, with my wife uh, as I try to do to get the blood out of my boots once a week um, uh, we see vines that have been ripped up uh, and just lying in the corner of fields which are very often turned over afterwards the production of olives or figs or something else uh, uh, these vines have been un become unfruitful and they're ripped up this is the image uh, that anyone from Mediterranean country would understand uh, the mediatorial function uh, is emphasised uh, even uh, further uh, as Calvin continues his commentary on verse 2 fruit comes from life in Christ when the father does the planting and the pruning well we spoke about suffering in the Christian life uh, previously and the pruning is obviously related uh, to that and that's why I put this little note John 15.2 is the background to the developments on the suffering uh, in the Christian life uh, in Institutes uh, 3 chapter 6 to 11 and Calvin's commentary on John uh, was written I think probably around the same time uh, later uh, when Calvin was writing uh, his later editions uh, of the Institutes uh, the mediatorial function fruit comes from life in Christ when the father does a planting and pruning etc now here is what Calvin says the faithful need assiduous cultivation if they are not to become wayward he uses the term uh, batar in French uh, since they cannot produce any good unless God prunes them often it is not enough that we have been once made participants the language of participation again in adoption the language of sonship if our good Lord does not continue working grace in us and here is the pastoral uh, comments uh, uh, from uh, verses 10 and 11 concerning sanctification and justification which are the outcome of life in Christ which is the result of the planting of the Father and the receiving of life which is like sap uh, coming from the vineyard uh, which is the Lord Jesus Christ uh, commentary on John 15, 10 and 11 in me Christ says is brightly displayed the resemblance of those things that I ask of you is it salvation by works follow me uh, the imitation of Jesus Christ uh, we see the answer to that question in just a second for you see how I persevere in my course my father too 
has loved me not for a short time but his love toward me is constant the conformity of the head and the members ought to retain our attention uh, thus arises the peace and joy that is possessed by all that have been justified by faith so continuing persevering in Christ is a fruit of justification by faith righteousness is freely imputed by forgiveness and therefore works that deserve to be rejected as imperfect and unholy are made acceptable to God and here is uh, an encouragement uh, to sanctification uh, through remaining in Christ uh, being justified by him planted in him uh, we uh, uh, are exhorted to continue to bear fruit uh, through sanctification and so union with Christ uh, is a function of being engrafted uh, into Christ becoming one with Christ in such a way that we uh, live on the life of the Lord Jesus Christ uh, itself and this perspective will be uh, totally central in Calvin's development uh, of doctrine of union with Christ uh, in the context uh, of the Lord's Supper in book 4 now uh, we want to continue uh, a little further to the next uh, image we have which uh, concerns union with Christ uh, and uh, participation and this is uh, uh, Romans 6 uh, verses 1 uh, to 11 uh, participation in Christ uh, uh, is uh, here in terms of first of all the red passage Christ's death uh, and life uh, uh, are at the origin of our being a new nature in Jesus Christ uh, this uh, new life in Christ through participation is an eternal life verse 9 having been raised from the dead uh, one dies no more and uh, finally verse 11 uh, is his participation uh, by the spirit and uh, Calvin will here again have a pastoral uh, implication uh, what is uh, participation uh, in Christ well uh, there are for Calvin in Romans uh, uh, 8 uh, this chapter we're looking at uh, verses 1 to 11 uh, 8 aspects of participation uh, and uh, constantly Calvin in these verses in his commentary uses the language of participation to show how we are partaking in Christ's uh, uh, very life uh, in newness of life uh, and in by progress of life uh, and in the hope of glory here are the eight aspects uh, first of all Christ cleanses us by our blood and renders God propitious to us in expiation by making us partakers of his spirit that is Christ's spirit verse 2 the first use of the word partaking second use of the word partaking verse 3 we become partakers of the grace of Christ 
immediately the efficacy of his death appears point three the death of Christ destroys the depravity of the flesh and resurrection affects the renovation of a better nature Calvin says by baptism we are admitted into participation in this grace that's Calvin's comments uh, on verse four fourth point uh, concerning participation uh, engrafting a secret union with Christ makes us partakers of his life no less than the death of Christ verse 5 uh, verse uh, number 5 we cannot be put to death other than by partaking in Christ's death this comment on verse 6 uh, 6 Christians must show evidence of participation in Christ's death this comment on verse 7 also on verse 7 the bearing of the cross is followed by a participation in eternal life eighth use of participation we cannot be participants in Christ except in newness of life since he lives an incorruptible life his comments on verse 8 so in Calvin's comments uh, on Romans 8 Uh, again and again uh, in a variety of different ways this language of participation uh, is used uh, uh, and comes up we'll just uh, uh, underline uh, two or three points concerning this Uh, first of all when we become one with Christ the efficacy of Christ's death appears in our life Calvin says Uh, we are dead to ourselves and we uh, inherit a new and better nature through participation uh, in the death of the Lord Jesus Christ Uh, Calvin's comments on Romans 6 verse 4 what is mainly to be considered in baptism is not simply washing and purification uh, more than that but the putting on uh, sorry but the putting to death of the old man it's participation in Christ's death through the death of the old man and the efficacy of his death appears when being dead to ourselves we become new creatures Uh, the old man is destroyed by the death of Christ and his resurrection brings justice and makes us new creatures the death of Christ is efficacious to destroy and demolish the depravity of our flesh and the resurrection to affect the state of a new and better nature so here we see that union with Christ is participation in reality in Christ's death uh, and life Uh, Calvin is saying Uh, what happened to Christ uh, uh, is repeated in our case because no one can be united with the living and glorified Christ uh, the righteous and the just son of God uh, without dying to sin and uh, no one can be united with Christ uh, without being raised in newness of life and new and better nature uh, with Christ and Calvin says repeatedly we can't divide Christ Uh, we can't have a half Christ and a half uh, justification Uh, we can't have a half Christ and and just sanctification without justification Uh, it's the whole Christ 
uh, that's involved in union with Christ because we're united to his person and the person to whom we are united is the living glorified Christ the one who died and rose again and that is the whole uh, motor behind uh, Calvin's thought uh, and the doctrine uh, of union with Christ it's not exactly Hermann Ridderbos's uh, Ein Malik uh, redemptive historical interpretation but it's a very close communion with Christ uh, in what Christ did uh, and what happened to Christ uh, happens to us uh, uh, through faith and through newness of life secondly it's participation uh, with Christ in uh, eternal life when we are united to Christ we participate in Christ's eternal life uh, Calvin speaks about Christ's incorruptible life because Christ uh, uh, is risen never to die uh, anymore uh, and we are risen with Christ uh, never to die uh, again uh, the experience uh, uh, of the believer is uh, death to sin with Christ uh, and death in Christ uh, to enter glory and commenting Romans 6 and 9 uh, Calvin says uh, Christ now makes the faithful alive uh, and by his spirit breathes his own life into them by his secret power from heaven as he was liberated from the power of death so he liberates all those who belong to him union with Christ is participating with Christ in uh, eternal life and as we have already seen uh, this is by the power of the spirit the commentary on Romans 6 verse 11 uh, and here we see uh, at the end of this uh, section of uh, comment on union with Christ in Romans 6 as participation uh, we have again as in John uh, the pastoral accents which comes through and Calvin uh, says uh, think of how it is uh, in you as once Christ died to destroy sin so you died once that in future you cease from sinning you must continue the mortification that has begun until sin is once and for all abolished as Christ was raised to an incorruptible life so by the grace of God you are also born anew is the language of sonship again that you may live all your life in holiness and righteousness inasmuch as the power of the Holy Spirit by which you are renewed is eternal and shall ever continue the same and so we participate uh, in the life of the living uh, eternally uh, risen Christ uh, through the power of the Holy Spirit uh, by which we are uh, renewed and uh, shall ever continue uh, to be so and at the end of this section uh, I'd like to draw together these uh, comments by uh, illuminating them with uh, the passage from Institutes 3.16.1 uh, on what we might call the triangle of union with Christ justification and sanctification 
And I think uh, uh, this uh, uh, completes uh, what we've said uh, to this point. Uh, Calvin says here, uh, Why then are we justified by faith? Because by faith we grasp Christ's righteousness, by which alone we are reconciled to God. That's justification, isn't it? Yet you could not grasp this without at the same time grasping sanctification as well. Therefore Christ justifies no one whom he does not at the same time sanctify. One might say this is John Murray's doctrine of definitive sanctification. Uh, These benefits are joined together by an everlasting and indissoluble bond so that when he illumines by his wisdom he redeems echoes of Romans 8 uh, 29 following whom he redeems he justifies and whom he justifies he sanctifies do you wish to attain the righteousness of Christ you must first possess Christ but you cannot possess him without being made Partaker, a language of participation in his sanctification because he cannot be divided into pieces (coughs) well uh, here is uh, something I think which bears uh, meditation in the light of all kinds of uh, uh, second blessing and spiritual Christian superiorities Calvin says that there is no justification and no sanctification without union with Christ and union with Christ is partaking in the whole Christ because he can't be divided into pieces partaking in his justification and sanctification but what is most important is union with Christ Uh, because uh, 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 this is the foundation uh, of justification Uh, and sanctification you could not grasp this without at the same time grasping sanctification also you must first possess Christ and uh, uh, this is Calvin's uh, uh, Christocentricity this is the the Christocentric heart of the gospel uh, in Calvin's thought now finally and uh, we press on but I think we'll finish about in time union with Christ and adoption of course there's no time to go into all the details of Calvin's commentaries and I'm only underlining some things and what I'm reading to you are are translations that I've made from uh, the French commentaries Um, Romans 8 13 to 17 In in this passage there are three points uh Uh, concerning union with Christ and adoption which are important and uh, there are points which we've already seen Uh, the leading of the spirit but if by the spirit you put to death the deeds of the body you will live for as many uh, as are led by the spirit of God these are sons of God so uh, here the spirit and sonship the leading of the spirit Uh, sonship in itself uh, uh, the spirit itself bears witness with our spirit that we are children of God and finally 
the third point I'd like to underline is the joint heirship with Christ so leading of the spirit uh, sonship by the spirit uh, and finally uh, we have joint uh, heirs with Christ which is uh, very important here is uh, a comment uh, from Romans 8.13 in Calvin's commentary which is in line with the double grace in the institutes we've just seen in the previous section where Calvin is talking about partaking uh, in Christ through union with Christ Uh, adoption too for Calvin is an aspect like participation and engrafting is an aspect of the double grace uh, in Jesus Christ and in the application of salvation Uh, there is no trust in God where there is no love of justice I take as evidence that we are justified in Christ through grace or mercy in French misericorde uh, the grace of God alone but equally certain is the fact that all who are justified are called to live according to the holy calling of God let the faithful learn to embrace Christ not only in justification justice uh, in French but also in sanctification so as not to divide him by half faith (coughs) an interesting expression half faith point one sonship and the leading of the spirit Uh, those alone who are led by the spirit are children of God because this is the mark by which God recognises father his own children of God who are led by his spirit uh, and are heirs to eternal life and ought to feel assured of eternal life the Lord favours numbers his own elect and by this he separates them from others to be numbered with his sons so here we have the notion of children of God we have the notion of the spirit and we have the notion of the action uh, of uh, the father God's recognition of those who are led by the spirit uh, are truly uh, adopted because they are children in union uh, with the Lord Jesus Christ adoption to inheritance by the father God has adopted us as his children and has at the same time ordained an inheritance for us a heavenly incorruptible and internal inheritance such as is possessed by Christ and the excellence of this inheritance is shown in that we partake of it the language of participation again in common with the only begotten son of God Uh, sonship uh, involves union with Christ and when we are united to Christ uh, then we have the inheritance such as is possessed by Christ that's a glorious thought that we have the inheritance that's possessed by Christ through union with him and uh, we partake of this inheritance in common uh, with uh, Christ the only begotten son 
we become sons with the son and this is uh, a great assurance uh, to any passing through periods of doubt uh, with regard to their salvation and finally uh, we are co-heritors and partners with Christ commentary on Romans 8.17 see also Calvin's comment uh, on this subject in the Institutes chapter 3 uh, and uh, book 3 chapter 8 we are co-heritors with Christ provided that we follow him on the same path he took in order to enter into the inheritance God's inheritance is ours because by grace he has adopted us to be his children and so that we may not doubt its possession uh, so that we may not doubt its possession has already been conferred on Christ uh, with whom we have uh, been sorry been made co-owners and partners uh, co-owners and partners with Christ uh, we have this possession because it's been conferred upon Christ and with him we are made co-owners and partners with Christ Christ came to it uh, by the cross and we must enter it by the same way this is the foundation of Calvin's theology of suffering uh, in the Christian life but you see uh, as in John for Calvin the suffering uh, is uh, never suffering in terms of uh, questions regarding the injustice of God it's suffering uh, in terms of uh, God's pruning and God's purifying action uh, in his sons and in order that we enter the inheritance we follow Christ uh, uh, who has uh, taken the path uh, from suffering to glory and we must follow the same path if we are to gain the same inheritance which is already ours uh, with the Lord Jesus Christ so here we see uh, how union with Christ uh, for Calvin is uh, an enormously rich uh, uh, notion uh, involving these three aspects uh, but in which uh, uh, the same themes reoccur continually and uh, are developed in uh, <coughs> complementary fashion now uh, for just two or three minutes I uh, come to some conclusions uh, as we have seen uh, Union with Christ in Calvin's commentaries uh, uh, has three aspects uh, engrafting that's living upon Christ uh, uh, in union with Christ we live upon him uh, uh, as uh, believers uh, through faith uh, participation uh, it's uh, 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 an intimate uh, uh, expression in French uh, Calvin often uses the word uh, communication with Christ uh, uh, which is uh, uh, for Calvin richer than simple communion I think uh, it's participation, it's living together with Christ it's, it's following the path 
set out by Christ and it's, it's participating in the very life of Christ uh, uh, now uh, Christ who is in heaven uh, deigns to stoop uh, 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 in his power and uh, through his Holy Spirit uh, give us the wherewithal through participation of him uh, to uh, lead uh, the life uh, of suffering which uh, goes to glory and uh, adoption is living uh, as a son uh, in Christ so here I think we have uh, three complementary aspects living uh, upon Christ what's Christian life? it's dependence on Christ uh, living with Christ what's the Christian life it's living each day with the Lord Jesus uh, in our lives and what is adoption to sonship uh, it's living in Christ uh, uh, as sons and uh, uh, inheritors uh, of uh, uh, what is our prize and our goal uh, salvation in Christ himself now uh, these three have a past, present and future uh, aspect uh, all of them but I think uh, you could push a point and say uh, saying grafting describes that we have been planted in the vineyard participation uh, that we are a presence uh, alive in Christ dead to be alive with him uh, and adoption uh, is the eschatological hope uh, of the future uh, inheritance uh, uh, with the Lord Jesus Christ so we have uh, in these three notions of union with Christ something which covers the whole of the Christian life what has happened to us what is happening to us and what uh, will happen to us and uh, uh, these are different aspects uh, of the same uh, basic fundamental reality of union with Christ union with Christ is Trinitarian and Calvin's theology is profoundly Trinitarian he rarely speaks about the Father without the Son and he rarely speaks about the Son without the Spirit in all of these commentaries we've, we've seen. And the incarnation of Christ is the accomplishing focus of the work of the Trinitarian God in his acts of salvation and union with Christ is its operational focus with regard uh, to uh, the application of the accomplished salvation <coughs> and here uh, the Trinitarian persons have different functions for Calvin the father is always the author of life of election the one who justifies and adopts on the basis of the imputation of Christ's righteousness uh, in Christ in all these commentaries we find the fountain of life the mediator to whom we are united in his death and resurrection issuing in newness of life and the spirit seals the word of truth in our hearts bears witness to Christ and is the abiding principle of communion with Christ from day to day the spirit accompanies and mediates the grace of God in Christ uh, to us The third point, none of the benefits of the Ordo Salutis are possible outside of union with Christ. Uh, union with Christ is articulated in harmony with the double grace flowing from the work of Christ, justification and sanctification. The two graces make the potential benefits of Christ actual in the lives of believers. 
we possess nothing until we are engrafted into Christ until we put on Christ until we are made one body with him becoming sons of the Father through the secret work of the Spirit so we come to enjoy as Calvin says in 3.1.1 Christ and all his benefits union with Christ is spiritual and mystical but also physical the spiritual union we have with Christ belongs not only to the soul but also to the body so much so that we are flesh of his flesh and bone of his bone Ephesians 5.30 otherwise the hope of the resurrection would be faint indeed were not our union what it is namely complete and entire body, soul and spirit we are united to Christ this is uh, no simple spiritual uh, ethereal action this is uh, no mystical contemplation uh, of a beatific uh, vision it's a living bodily uh, the daily life uh, uh, in Christ uh, through the power uh, of his spirit this is spiritual union with Christ flesh of his flesh and bone of his bone we become one with Christ and this mysterious union is something which uh, totally transcends uh, our understanding and this is uh, of course the foundation of Calvin's theology of the supper and finally uh, here uh, we have a union of Christ uh, as we have described it the outcome of a wonderful exchange which Calvin uh, uh, comments in Institutes uh, Book 4 uh, Chapter 7 yes, uh, Section 2 um, here we see in black uh, 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 what the Son of Man does and in blue uh, how the benefits uh, accrues to us in the glorious transfer and uh, uh, this glorious transfer which of course uh, was uh, dear to the heart of Martin Luther uh, is articulated by Calvin in, in terms of our union uh, with Christ it's in union with Christ that we know all the benefits of the glorious uh, transfer the wonderful exchange and this is the language Calvin uses this is the wonderful exchange becoming son of man with us he made us sons of God with him by his descent to earth he prepared an ascent to heaven for us uh, accepting our weakness he has strengthened us by his power receiving our poverty for himself he has transferred his wealth to us by taking the weight of iniquity upon himself he has clothed us with righteousness becoming son of man descending weakness poverty and iniquity they are ours we descended into the realms of sin uh, we became the lowest of the low uh, uh, we became weak through sin uh, weak unto death uh, we became poor in a world that is uh, full of God's riches and we were laden down with the weight uh, of our iniquity uh, which condemned us to hell and put us on that road uh, but uh, through uh, the glory of the work of the Lord Jesus Christ he made us sons of God 
He prepared our ascent into heaven. He strengthened us by his power. He transferred his wealth to us. And he clothed us with his righteousness. Hallelujah! Uh, what a saviour we have uh, uh, in Jesus Christ. Here uh, is union with Christ. Uh, that as Abraham Kuyper said, uh, Calvin describes with a warmth that is equaled by uh, none other. Calvin, who is often criticised as being dry and scholastic, uh, here is all the warmth uh, of Calvin in union with Christ. And of course, uh, uh, there is that union with Christ uh, which we've not been able to talk about, but which makes us union uh, in Christ uh, uh, as uh, the new people of God, uh, the new uh, Israel. Uh, as a body we are invi uh, invited uh, into union with Christ to live in him uh, and to serve him as his people, the new Israel. Uh, this is the uh, illustration from a French edition uh, of uh, uh, Calvin's uh, book, uh, commentary on the five books of Moses and you can see that the notion of union of Christ, with Christ uh, is already present in Calvin's vision uh, of the Old Testament uh, you can notice here uh, uh, the divine hand uh, with the little scythe uh, reaching from heaven to remove uh, uh, the, uh, 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 the non-fruitful uh, aspects of the vine uh, you see uh, the grafting <coughs> of Christ uh, the grafting which is tied uh, uh, in which uh, uh, the true people of God are united into uh, the Lord Jesus Christ uh, and you see uh, the prophetic uh, servants of the Lord uh, announcing the gospel uh, which brings us into a knowledge uh, of the union of Christ uh, this is the tree of life uh, this is the tree uh, uh, to which we belong uh, of which Christ is the head and uh, this is the tree which is the true vine uh, in the vineyard uh, which is the Lord Jesus Christ 